So for the reading will be Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, and then we'll go to Matthew chapter 5. Last time, we considered how the way of the world around us is to take the name of the Lord in vain, saying, Oh my God, or other similar expressions, irreverently and to no good purpose. We saw in Psalm 71 that when we say, Oh my God, or similar expressions, it should be to call on the Lord to save us and to call on the Lord to help us. Today we consider how the way of the world around us is to break the third commandment when they invoke the name of the Lord, even when they do not actually say the word God or Lord or Jesus. And we see in the scriptures how we are to invoke the name of the Lord, not in vain, but instead to praise him and thank him and to help other people. The third commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. The third commandment is broken, God's name taken in vain, when the name of the Lord is invoked irreverently, even if not actually spoken. Because there are kinds of speech in which the speaker expresses the wish for something that he doesn't himself have the power to do. In speaking like that, he is implicitly calling on God to accomplish what he is wishing. For example, in swearing. In swearing, the speaker implicitly calls on God to punish him if he's not telling the truth. Or for God to show it if he's hiding something, um, or to punish him if he does not follow through with what he's promising. A person might swear that what he's saying is the truth, or a person might swear that he's going to do something or swear to something else. Now, men are tempted to swear without speaking the name of the Lord and thinking that then that's okay because they're making no reference to God, they think. But our Lord Jesus has corrected that sinful mistake, explaining that all swearing invokes the name of the Lord necessarily, even if the name of the Lord is not spoken. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, 
do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne. Notice there, somebody might think he's just throwing, swearing by heaven, not by God. But if he's swearing by heaven, he is swearing by God. Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, God's footstool. So you see, somebody thinks he's just swearing by earth or something on earth. But in doing so, he, he actually is swearing by God. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So, you know, we wouldn't swear by Jerusalem, but the Jews of that time might swear by Jerusalem, thinking they're not swearing by God, but just by Jerusalem. No, Jerusalem is the city of God, and so you're swearing by God even then. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. You see, it doesn't doesn't make sense to swear by anything about yourself, it doesn't make sense to swear by anything except God, because what you're swearing can't be accomplished by anybody but God. So you can't say, you know, may, may all the hairs on my head turn white if I'm not telling you the truth. Well, you can't make that happen, but God can make that happen. And therefore, if you, you think you're just swearing by some creature... Truly, all swearing invokes the name of the Lord, even if the speaker doesn't say the name of the Lord. So, let the swearing of oaths be reserved for solemn occasions where it's required by the magistrate, necessary for settling some important matter. In all common speech, do not swear at all lest you take the name of the Lord your God in vain by swearing. Another such kind of speech where the name of the Lord is invoked, and often irreverently, even if it's not said, is in cursing. In cursing, um, um, a, a man saying he wishes for someone or something to be damned or to go to hell. That's a curse. Thus the term cursing, which we hear more often as the kind of mangled form cussing. And so you have what are called cuss words and cussing. That's cursing. Now the man speaking does not actually have the power to condemn or damn someone. He does not actually have the power to make a person or any other thing go to hell. So in speaking those words, whether he knows it or not, means it or not, he is calling on God to damn someone or to damn thing, something, calling on God to make something or someone go to hell. So cursing is invoking the name of the Lord, whether his name is actually spoken in the curse or not. Just like the Lord taught us so clearly with swearing, a person can't, you know, rightly think, well, he's not really swearing by God, he's swearing by something else and therefore it's okay. That's not how it works. Um, uh, cursing is 
calling on God, whether a person wants to admit that or not. Now, not all cursing is wicked. God rightly, righteously pronounces curses. God curses righteously. For example, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. That's the word of the Lord saying that. He may pronounce curses righteously. He is, you could say, calling on himself to execute the threatened punishment. He is calling on himself to follow through with the condemnation. And he's faithful to do it. He rightly pronounces a curse on anyone whose heart departs from the Lord to trust in man. We may pronounce the curses that God has pronounced. When speaking of the wickedness of sin and the salvation that God has worked for sinners in Christ Jesus, not making up our own curses, but making known the curses that God has pronounced. I'll turn to Galatians chapter 3. Years ago, I was teaching on this, in this congregation on Wednesday evenings through the book of Galatians. And uh, at home, my dear wife found uh, some source of selected scriptures from Galatians set to music. And so she and the children were learning some of these songs during that time, and I was very blessed by that. And, and some of what I'm about to read to you is, rings, in my, rings in my head according to those scripture songs. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You hear God pronouncing curses and the apostle writing it down, citing the curse that God pronounced, and here I am saying it to you, pronouncing curses. I'm cursing, but... I'm not making these curses up. I'm, I'm repeating what God has pronounced. You see, there's a curse on everyone who doesn't continue in all that's written in the book of the law. 
You understand as we go through the Ten Commandments, when you realize all the all that they command and that they prohibit and all the implications of that, and it goes all the way, you know, it includes our actions, also our speech, and goes all the way to our hearts, uh, then you realize, I, I haven't kept everything written in the book of the law. Well, understand, God has pronounced upon anyone who doesn't keep his law a curse. You're cursed by God if you don't keep all his law. Which then, of course, none of us has, except Jesus Christ, who has kept all of God's law, who's been obedient at every point to all of God's commandments, uh, whether specified or whether summarized in loving God and loving your neighbor. He has been in a state of perfect obedience always. So he is not himself cursed, for disobeying God's law. But then, he became that curse for us. He became the man cursed for disobedience. Not because he was disobedient to God's law, but because he took our sin upon himself. And so then it was seen clearly that that was so when he was hung on the cross to die, which in the Old Testament, there's no reference to a Roman-made cross, but the reference is to the similar hanging on a tree. And the Israelites are to observe, if someone is hung on a tree, he's to be considered cursed for having disobeyed God's law and received that penalty. So then when you see Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, we don't see it. They saw it. When we hear about it, when we hear about it, then we realize he has taken that curse that sinners deserve. He's taking it on himself. He is now the man cursed. He is, in effect, the curse. And he's doing that for our sake. So then what's the result? Verse 14, Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. God has ordained it always. You can see it back with Abraham so long ago, and then it's still the same today. God will justify us. He will count us as blessed rather than cursed through faith in Jesus Christ. That connection with Jesus Christ is the connection of faith, believing in him, trusting in him, having all our confidence and hope be not in ourselves, but in him. If we turn our hearts away from God and trust in ourselves, then we're cursed, and we'll have to remain cursed if that's how we stay. But if having done that at first, we will then turn away from ourselves and trust in God through Jesus Christ. Then we will be blessed with Abraham who believed. When we believe, then we're blessed with Abraham through that same faith, Jesus Christ having become the curse for us. 
So not all cursing is wicked. But all cursing in which we speak selfishly, irreverently, flippantly, when we speak curses to express our own anger, to try to seem cool, to try to fit in with others who are cursing, all of this invokes the name of the Lord in vain. Now then, it, it doesn't, I, I think it doesn't change the equation meaningfully to speak curses, but then just use some altered form of the curse word. I think to do the same thing, but say gall dern, I don't think that it changes the equation much at all. Uh, I think it's an attempt to change what can't be changed. When you're pronouncing a curse, you are invoking the name of the Lord, whether you mean to or not, because you can't make the curse come true. A curse is a calling on God to make it come true. So if you mangle the words to where they only resemble the word God and don't actually say God, that's not a changing of the thing that's going on. I'll turn next to James chapter 3. The Bible describes another aspect of cursing that takes the name of the Lord in vain. And that aspect of cursing is when with the same mouth we bless God and curse men. James chapter 3, starting in verse 9. James 3, verse 9. I, I have to start reading at verse 8 or we, or we miss what he's talking about. But no man can tame the tongue, meaning our speech. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our God and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. There is another kind, another aspect of cursing that takes the name of the Lord in vain. A third kind of speech that has this same characteristic in talking like this, we're invoking the name of the Lord, whether we meant to or not, is in blessing. Um, blessing is, in effect, the opposite of cursing. In blessing, a man, a man speaking a blessing expresses his wish for someone to be blessed. Typically, in ways that he himself cannot does not have the power to effect. When Jacob was old, knew he wouldn't be on, in this world much longer, then he blessed his sons. He said things about how it was going to be for them in the future that he didn't have the power to carry out. For example, he talked about Judah and the scepter would not pass from Judah until Shiloh comes, meaning you know, the, the kingship 
would come from the descendants of Judah, which it did in David, and then ultimately in Jesus Christ. But Jacob didn't have any power to make David be king or to send God's son here and Jesus Christ to be the king of kings. So blessing in this sense is expressing the wish for someone to receive benefit, but typically benefits that you, the speaker knows he can't bring, that he's calling on God to bring. So blessing is invoking the name of the Lord then, whether his name is actually spoken in the blessing or not. Now, it is possible to pronounce a blessing sincerely. It's possible that you have had me say to you, uh, may the Lord bless you. Um, I forget where I learned that, but years ago I learned that and I've been saying that to people. And, and I am saying that in all sincerity. You know, I guess it's possible, I guess it's always true to a degree There's all kinds of sinful stuff going on in me. So I hardly ever get anything out of my mouth that there's not something selfish going on in me at the same time. That that being understood of us all, um, you know, when I say to you, may the Lord bless you, I I really mean that. I'm saying may the Lord bless you because I I am calling on him by his power to do you good. Um. You know, we also sometimes, we sometimes might talk in that language about somebody being blessed, but we're, we're doing it for reasons that really are not honoring to God or good for anybody. I think sometimes the language of blessing, we use uh, jesting, being silly. Um, I know that I've watched... Uh, video where some comedians were talking about all the different ways that people in the south say you know bless your heart and and they were saying all that to be funny to get a laugh and they were pointing out that a lot of times people say it as a kind of a veiled veiled insult um or just to get a laugh or something like that a religious sounding way to insult someone or a religious sounding way um to make a joke and get a few laughs well i I probably couldn't count the times that I've done something like that thoughtlessly. Um, But really, um, cursing and blessing um, and and, uh, swearing, those things are really a calling on the Lord. And so they are not to be done um, irreverently for purposes other than um, honoring God and helping other people. So the third commandment is broken, God's name taken in vain, when the name of the Lord is invoked irreverently, even if not spoken. And the third commandment is broken, God's name taken in vain, when the speech of those professing his name is corrupt or rotten. And here's where I'm turning to Ephesians chapter 4, which Brother Connor read us a few minutes ago. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29. 
I'm not going to read the, that all aloud, having already been done, but I'm going to make reference to it now. Corrupt speech or rotten speech. Corruption or rotting. It's when the thing is no longer in a state of purity. Impurities are being introduced. You want it to just be only celery, but then when bacteria start eating up the celery and before long you've got a lot of rotten celery. There's things in there other than what you want. Impurities displacing the desired thing. You then have corruption. You have rottenness. Well, the kind of corrupt or rotten speech mostly most directly addressed here in this passage is obscenity obscenity there are things that belong exclusively to husband and wife in the marriage bed behind the closed doors of the bedroom such expressions of love between husband and wife in the marriage bed are good wholesome, created by God. But they are only to be enjoyed by the husband and wife alone with each other in marriage. Obscenity is showing such things openly on a stage or on a screen or in some other way or speaking about them openly without discretion. I understand that there could sometimes be a need to speak about them for some wholesome purpose, but I mean the speaking about such things openly for purposes of entertainment or, or other selfish things. Now, to introduce obscenity into our speech is to make our speech corrupt or rotten. Another kind of corrupt or rotten speech addressed here more obliquely is vulgarity. There are words, let me back up one step, there are very dirty yucky things in this world, such as sewage, excrement. There are also very grotesque or gruesome things in this world, such as the violent shedding of blood. Those things are reality that we deal with and will have to until the Lord Jesus comes back and makes all things new. And so there are words to describe such very dirty or grotesque things. Now, such things have to be spoken about sometimes. And so words for those very dirty or grotesque things have to be used. For example, for the purpose of dealing with the disposal of waste the cleaning up of very yucky messes, the treatment of illnesses and injuries. I understand that there is the need 
sometimes to talk about those things for necessary wholesome purposes. But to take the words for such dirty or grotesque things and then speak them as expressions in everyday speech to make those words exclamations to make those words something that people say to sound tough or to sound shocking or to sound cool or to fit in with others who are so speaking such speaking is vulgar it is vulgarity uh, I, I'm not going to go into how that came to be the word for that. Um, you know how I can go on and on about the origin of words. If you're interested, I'll gladly tell you later. To introduce vulgarity into our speech is to make our speech corrupt or rotten. Now, in this passage that that we've had read to us here before us, Ephesians 4 near the end and 5 near the beginning. There's all kinds of references to the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord said several different ways is all interwoven with these instructions. The Holy Spirit is mentioned. Chapter 5, verse 1, we who are in Christ who are described as being God's children. Well, you know one of the characteristics of a father's children, they are known by his same last name, or in other cultures, you know, son of so-and-so. Verse 2, um, you see those whom Christ has loved and for whom Christ has given himself an offering to God, um, Ephesians 5, 5, there's reference to the kingdom and entrance into it and it being the kingdom of Christ and of God. Uh, the name of the Lord in several forms is, is made part of this instruction. And so we understand that those of us who are claiming to be disciples of Jesus Christ. We are related to the name of God in several forms. It's all over us. It's with us. So that then what we do and what we say, in effect, comes as if from the Lord, as if attached to him, his name is the reputation of his name is reflected in our speech since we are known by his name. So see how those who claim God in Christ disgrace the name of the Lord by such corrupt speech as obscenity and vulgarity. Chapter 5, verse 3 fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness or lust, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So to stay away from all such actual 
sin from such corrupt conduct, to stay away from such corrupt actions, so much so that you don't even have anything to talk about in those areas. Doesn't mean it's okay to do all kinds of wickedness, just don't talk about it. No, of course a lot of people think that. That is not at all what's meant here. It means all this filth, all this corruption, have it be so much not what you do that there's then none of that to talk about either. Let it not be done. So much let it not be done. Let it not even be spoken of. And then, verse 3, that then is for saints fitting or becoming or comely or convenient or proper for saints. Saints, meaning those who are set apart. Set apart from the world, set apart unto God in Christ Jesus. So not to have these things in your actions or not even in your speech is then fitting, proper, comely, convenient for those who are the saints of Christ Jesus. Verse 4, obscenity, however, now it doesn't say obscenity, um, filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, obscenity and vulgarity are not fitting or becoming or comely or convenient or proper. And it doesn't go on then and say, for saints. But the idea is expressed already. It is fitting for saints not to have this, these actions and this kind of speech. These corrupt actions and this corrupt speech. That's fitting for saints. What's not fitting is to have this corrupt speech like obscenity and vulgarity. That is not fitting for the same people, for the saints. Those who have been baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit are supposedly set apart from the world as holy, sanctified. We are the saints. For such saints to speak vulgarity, obscenity, reflects badly on the name of the Lord to whom you're supposed to be sanctified. So the third commandment is broken. God's name is taken in vain when the name of the Lord is invoked irreverently, even if it's not spoken. And the third commandment is broken, God's name taken in vain, when the speech of those saints professing his name is corrupt. So then... Repent of all your taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, you have been doing so knowing that you were in some cases, but not really taking it seriously as if it were okay. It's not. This is to be repented of. Or you've been doing so carelessly with no no idea that you were taking the Lord's name in vain, well, that's a big part of what taking his name in vain is, being careless with his name. That's not something that's just okay, you're realizing now. 
Repent of that. Or in whatever other way this has struck your conscience and you've realized, I have been violating this commandment. Repent of that and find forgiveness from God in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been taking the Lord's name in vain, what you deserve is to be cursed. But Jesus Christ has taken that curse on himself on the cross. He has become the curse for us. So repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And through that faith, then the curse is lifted from you and is upon Jesus Christ. He has done all for you. And your sins are then forgiven in Jesus Christ. So repent of all your taking of the Lord's name in vain. And in that repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, find forgiveness of all of your commandment breaking. And then let us be guided by the commandment. Let us, let us make our speech to where it's not corrupt. I'll turn to Colossians 4, verse 6, where the same subject is addressed. And, and in, in, in such different words as to, as to help us know what to do then. If we realize that our speech otherwise will be corrupt, will be rotten, well, what should we do then? Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let your speech always be with grace. Uh, if I understand correctly the idea... It's about like this. We understand God's grace toward us. We, undeserving sinners, God has sent forth his own son to become the curse for us. And then by his spirit, he converts our hearts to faith. We trust in him. We're justified. We are saved. And that's all by God's grace. That's all him doing good for us and we didn't deserve it. Well, let our conversation, when we're talking, let it be full of grace. Let our conversation be for the benefit of the hearers. Let it be that the blessings God has poured out on us, our speech is for the purpose of, of those blessings coming upon them. Our speech always full of grace. If our speech is always full of grace, then there won't be room in there for corruptions of obscenity and vulgarity and, and damning and cursing and etc. That was the same thing. Cursing and swearing and etc. And then see also it says here, seasoned with salt. Mentioned as being the cure for corruption. You know how that is with things that you can salt, foods that you can salt to stop them uh, getting rotten. Uh, take your speech and season it with salt so it won't get corrupted. And you know what I think is a big part of that? Have the third commandment in mind as you decide what to say. Let the third commandment and the other things that God has said to us about our speech, let them be as salt in our speech 
keeping out corruption. When I've been in the habit of introducing corruption into my speech, well, let it be that now I'm thinking about God's commandment and I am sprinkling that commandment on my speech and the corruption is out. The Lord Jesus Christ certainly responded to temptation by citing God's commandments uh, when the devil tempted him three times in the wilderness. And we can do the same, taking God's commandments and the other good things in his word and sprinkling them on our speech. I'm saying sprinkling. That's not really what you do with salt if you're preserving food with it, is it? You, you put it all in there. You surround the food with salt, press the salt into it. So maybe I shouldn't be saying sprinkle the commandment on your speech. Maybe I should be saying put your speech all in God's commandments and press God's commandments firmly into your speech. So, so we'll repent of our taking of the Lord's name in vain, trusting him, trusting God to forgive us in Jesus Christ for all of that, and then we'll make sure our conversation is full of grace and seasoned with salt so we can then use our lips for better things. You know, part of the problem with corrupt speech taking the name of the Lord in vain, is it's not doing anybody any good. And so if we will use the word of God to get the corruption out of our speech, then our speech can do some good. Still in Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, people will will ask you questions or accuse you of things. You, as the disciples of Jesus Christ, you don't live like the world, um, the Lord helping us. You don't speak like the world. And, and the, the way you act makes you stand out, and people then ask you sincere and friendly questions about this or they accuse you trying to get you in trouble for not being like them wherever on that spectrum it, it is people ask you and if what you're used to is just taking the Lord's name in vain if what you're used to is just a corrupt way of speaking in which there's just um, blessing and cursing and uh, and swearing really to you know to no uh, good effect. Um, if there's just vulgar or obscene talking, coarse jesting, crudeness, if that's your way of speaking, then you won't know how rightly to answer in times like that. I will admit to people having asked me things, and I was just kind of embarrassed, and I was used to joking around, so I would just ask, answer kind of flippantly with something silly. You all might have even got that from me yourself, and I'm sorry for that. Um, if you're used to your speech always being full of grace and seasoned with salt, then when someone asks you, you weren't even expecting it, you know how to answer everyone. 
Um, so we can then use our lips for better things, like giving a good answer to people who ask us uh, the reason for the hope that's in us. Still in Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly or plenteously in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Uh, if we cleanse our lips from taking the name of the Lord in vain in a number of ways, then we are ready for our lips to be speaking to one another, whether formally in the singing that we do in worship as a congregation or informally, we're ready to speak to one another. And then see in verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, this kind of corrupt speech is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. If we'll, if we'll substitute praising the Lord and giving thanks for the profane uh, and corrupt, corrupt use of his name, uh, that will be a much better use of our lips. And then you see also in verse 17, it says, whatever you do in word or deed, you, if, if, there's, if there's a lot of what you've been saying, that's really just the taking of the Lord's name in vain. Well, then if you will learn to have your conversation seasoned with salt and full of grace, then it can you can move toward it being true of you that whatever you do in word, that is, whatever you say, can all be in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can all be to his glory. It can all be for people's good. You can look at where you are, where you know you are right now, what you're like now, you know, what you've been recently, lately, and what you're like right now. And you can realize, you know what, my, my speech has been so corrupt with these kind of things that I haven't really, it's not been really true of me at all that whatever I do in word gives glory to Jesus Christ and is helpful to other people. Why? I'm so far from that, I can barely see it from here. Well, you know, that, that might be where you are now, but you have heard the commandment of God, and you've heard the good news of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is help for you in the Word and in the Holy Spirit that lives inside the believer. There's help in the fellowship in the congregation as we influence each other for good. And so let it be that, even if that seems far away, let it be that, that that's what you aspire to, what you pray for, what you're laboring toward. And you'll find as the Lord is faithful, the work that he, the good work that he begins in us, he carries on to completion uh, in us. Well, you might be surprised how far the Lord gets in your life with this. And then however far he does or doesn't get in this life, you can look for the day that the trumpet sounds and there's the shout and he comes back. And then he will raise us incorruptible and all the work necessary for our full sanctification will be finished in an instant. 
so that then for all eternity, we who are in Christ will be able to use our lips only for those things that are wholesome and good and to the glory of Christ giving praise and thanks to his name. Amen. Let's take that to the Lord in prayer.